Everybody staying warm? Um, if you would uh, turn over to John 2, I just want to glance at something to just kind of kind of finish off what we started last night, and then we're going to jump over a few pages to another chapter. Um, thank you, worship team, um, all of you who are involved in that. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, I do, I, I, I just feel like there's just so much honor in this room, um, and uh, just faithful people who have, it's hard for me to express what I felt in my heart, but it, it's, it's like this, I'll try to say it this way, is thank you for your faithfulness. And you say, well, who are you talking to? <laughs> Anybody in this room who loves Jesus who lives in this region, okay? I know we got some folk from other places, but sometimes we can have you know, God births big dreams in our heart for what he wants to do. And, and it seems like it can take a while to see the fulfillment of that. Um, but I want to I encourage you, even if you feel like, man, there's all these dreams God's put on your heart for your church, for your city. And you haven't seen that come to fruition yet. The fact that you are faithful and you stand your ground in the spirit to just love Jesus through every storm that hits your life, that hits the church, that hits your city, and to love well, to glorify God. And, and I won't even say refuse to be offended, but let me put it this way, that you overcome your offenses. And you learn to forgive and you continue to persevere in loving Jesus and loving others. Even if you don't see the full fruit yet that you want to see, I'm telling you, God honors that. And there are people in this room, you have loved God well in this city for a long time. You have shepherded people, you have pastored people, you have encouraged and loved others well. And some of those people have responded well by growing in the Lord and fulfilling their destinies. And some of those people have, have moved on to other places if God has sent them out. And some of those people um, don't seem like they pay you back very well. But the reality is God calls us to obedience. And I just, there are people in this room, I just want to... Um, I just want to say, man, God sees your faithful commitment. Even if you feel like you don't see the fruit, God sees your faithfulness, and he honors that. And I just, I want to honor you tonight, different parts of the body that have come together, and just say that, um, man, God delights in his people. And even in the midst of hardship, when you just say yes to him, he loves that. He loves that, and he delights in that. And I, I feel the delight of the Father in the perseverance of the saints, okay? Uh, I wish I could say it better, but that's the best I can do. Okay, so um, how many were here last night? Well, most of us, okay. So um, I just want to touch on something real quick, and then we're going to jump over to a, another chapter here in John. But uh, John chapter 2, um, we were looking at this passage last night when Jesus turned the water into wine, and it says in verse 11, this is the first of his signs Jesus did it in, at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. When I read this years ago, I mean, I've, obviously I've read it a lot over the years, but I read this a number of years ago, and it struck me, it says that he manifested his glory. By making a party go up several notches. Like, like what? So I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I don't, I have not historically, okay, again, growing up in the church, I have not thought of the glory of God as being, hey, everybody, let's break out the wine. It's like, 
those two things don't seem to go together. I mean, you either got wine at a party or you got the glory of God, but they're mutually exclusive. And so over the years, I've thought of the glory of God as Charlton Heston coming down from the mountain. I mean, Moses coming down, you know, with his face, you know, all the white hair and just super serious and his face aglow with these chiseled commandments. That's what I think of, okay, when I think about the glory of God. And here in this passage of Scripture that we were looking at last night, it says that when Jesus showed up at this wedding and he turns water, 180 gallons of water, into now 180 gallons of wine, he revealed his glory. Now, whether that makes sense to me or not, whether that fits with my uh, Charlton Heston paradigm or not, the fact is, if this is what Scripture says, and specifically, if this is what the New Testament reveals in the life of Jesus, what he was doing, and it says that he revealed his glory, then whether it fit, matches my description of glory or not, I guess I better def- redefine my description of what glory is. So it says, he revealed his glory. And this has kind of been a journey that I've been on for, I don't know, somewhere around 10 years probably. Um, when I first shared this at our, our church on a, on a Wednesday night, um, somewhere around 10 to 12 years ago, and just how, how just shocking to me it was uh, how <laughs> that he revealed his glory like that. And so I, I shared briefly last night how it, to me, it's counterintuitive, okay, when joy breaks out, again, something that I was rather opposed to and I was rather critical of, and the joy of the Lord breaks into a place, this controversial whine of his spirit breaks out, and what begins to happen. Um, and there's just a, a few examples of that. Um, I touched on it last night, talking about being in, in the second trip we ever made to Medellin, Colombia, and, uh, and some of the deliverance that was going on that was interesting. Um, but there was a, a uh, this was like four and a half years ago, um, we went to uh, a region, a very different region of Colombia that we'd never been to before called Tumaco, and we were ministering there, doing these, these meetings similar to this, and we were in a, uh, a small civic auditorium. And these churches had come together for these meetings. And um, this happened to be the one meeting Pastor Dave missed out on. Crazy. But um, he had actually um, had some vocal problems that he had just recovered from before that trip. Well, we're ministering nonstop. And so we were like really shouting the high praises of God the night before. And so he needed to just stay back that particular night and rest his voice. I wish he could have been there, though. Um, so that particular night, I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak that message on, um, on the wine of the Spirit from John chapter 2. And as I did, I got, I don't know, maybe halfway through it, Sherry was there. Our team is sitting on the front row. And as I'm sharing, our team on the front row starts to get drunk. I mean, touched by the Holy Spirit. It's a better way to say it. Okay. And after a few minutes, the worship team from this event on the second row, they started getting intoxicated. And I was preaching myself happy. I was getting, I was feeling really good. I was feeling really loose. And I'd look around the room or this auditorium and you'd see a person back there begin, the joy of the Lord begin to hit them. And then somebody else over here, they begin laughing in the spirit. You'd, somebody else back here would, be, would break out in laughter. And it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. The spirit of God just began to fall in the room, and people throughout the place started laughing. And then it got more intense throughout the place. And this is what's fascinating to me, is that this went on for some time, and then all of a sudden, in the roar of this cackle, this laughter, there was another sound that erupted. Just this screaming that was not like, ah, screaming because, wow, God's touching me. That's really nice. No, it was one of those things. Is that God or the devil? Yes, that we were talking about last night. Because the anointing of God just began to fall in the room. Now, I wasn't teaching. I wasn't preaching on deliverance. 
But the Spirit of God began to fall in the room, and people who were tormented demonically, all of a sudden, as the level of the anointing increased in the environment, those demonic things came to the surface. And someone began screaming in the back. And so our team was like, oh, we better go get them. And they took, pulled them out to like a side room to minister deliver, deliverance to them. A moment later, Rah! another scream. A few moments later, Rah! another scream. And it was like popcorn. Like as fast and as furious as the joy of the Lord hit the room, people began going through deliverance. Now, the context was this was um, a place where apparently just before we'd been there, what they do, someone like blew up the police station or something like that? There was the headquarters of FARC, okay? So it's terrorist activity going on. A bunch of people were murdered just before we got there, and there was a ton of witchcraft. And a lot of kids in that area had gone through abuse, which is, you know, a playground for the enemy to have inroads. And it was, it was wild. And so something switched in the environment where all of a sudden, I, I, I'm just trying to go with what God's doing, you know, because there's times when God's presence shows up, nobody's in charge but the Holy Spirit. You can quench him, you could stop him, but that'd be, you'd try to stop him, but that'd be stupid, you know. I don't want to quench what he's doing. But he's just, he's, his spirit is falling in the room. People are getting filled with joy. And at the same time, people are going through deliverance. And so what I did was I just started marching around the room. Then I got aggressive and I just, as led by the Lord, I just started declaring the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of the city. He's Lord of that region. And Jesus Christ is Lord. And everything and everybody's going to bow their name, their need to Jesus. Well, if the demonic didn't like what was going on before, they sure didn't like it now. And so I remember walking up in this um, uh, bleacher area. And I walk, as I'm just marching around declaring this, I walk up there, and there's this young girl, I don't know, teenager, I'm guessing. She, at the closer I'm getting to her, the more she just covers her ears and starts screaming, no, no, shut up, stop, stop, quit saying that. I don't think it's merely because I might have a voice that sounds weird at times. It was the message that was being proclaimed. But there was just a holy boldness that came upon me in that environment because it was so obvious what God was doing. And so um, one after the other, our team would just pick up people and carry them out to minister deliverance. And so um, they were there way late. And I was there really late, but some of our team was there really, really late ministering deliverance. And it was, it was just, it was fun, and, but it was wild. It was wild. And this was... One last thing about that. So that particular night, I'm standing there, and I'm just declaring things over this place. And all of a sudden, it's sudden as I'm like looking around, seeing what God's doing, suddenly there's this young man right in front of me, probably maybe 20 years old. And I'm like, what's up? What's going on? What do you need? He said, I want to get saved. I'm like, that's pretty good. Like, that's good fruit. I didn't preach a salvation message, and I wasn't preaching on deliverance. But God came into the, the whole environment, and that's what God began to do. People began to get set free from demons, and this young man just says, I want to get saved. So, led to the Lord right there. Um, I say, a part of the reason why I say all that is because what we begin to taste of last night, again, you know, I said, I wouldn't be sharing that if that was just a nice experience that I had with the Lord like 19, 20 years ago. But there's something about that when the Spirit of the Lord is released. And to me, again, it's counterintuitive because um, I'd, prior to all of this, I didn't associate the joy of the Lord and the wine of His Spirit being outpoured with people spontaneously getting saved and with uh, people going through deliverance. But I've, we've seen a lot in recent um, years, as the Spirit is outpoured in that manner, uh, people just start getting set free. And so again, I would just say that, man, I'm after the fruit. And even if the package is weird, again, I'm not referring to myself right now, but whatever the package is, okay, it could be me, it could be, but however God wants to do it, whatever the packaging is, I don't care at the end of the day if there's fruit, that's what I'm after.
That's what I'm after. I want to see him glorified. And so um, one of the things that um, blessed me was uh, Pastor uh, Paul Tucker, our childhood, Dave says childhood pastor, my, I was really, really, really little, um, a little kid up in, up in Minnesota, our, our pastor from when I was um, a small child, um, you know, we moved away from Minnesota many years ago and had, and just a few years ago, reconnected with him, and uh, I got to talk to him just a couple of times, and one of the things that I, that blessed me so much, because I didn't know this about our grandmother, so Pastor Paul Tucker is telling, uh, telling us, going, oh, yes, I remember your grandma. He said, oh, I remember. Yeah, she would come up front. Now, she was a very serious woman who would she loved Jesus, but she'd gone through a really hard life. And she was a single mom of, what, five girls? Back in the 1950s, I think, was when she became a single mom. And uh, just never had hardly any money and just life was tough. But she loved Jesus. And uh, he said she would come up front and she would just close her eyes and she would just dance in the spirit all over up front and never hit anybody. Like people all around, and she'd have her eyes closed, and she would just dance in the spirit. And he said, oh, yeah, there were lots of times you'd have to just pick her up and carry her out, and she was just drunk in the Holy Ghost. I'm like, I didn't know that about my grandma. In one sense, there's nothing new that God does. And in another way, there's always new things he's doing. But it always comes from his eternal heart. And the joy of the Lord is eternal, Okay. Um, so just on a personal note, that, that was neat for me, um, hearing her experiences with God that I, that I never knew about until recently. Um, turn over to John chapter six. And as you do that, um, John chapter six, there are two things that tend to happen when God begins to, to move, um, like he does two things. Two tendencies, I think, that we have to ask some questions. And when God starts moving in in a dramatic way in a room, it's very easy for us to ask this question. What is wrong with them? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I know God touches people, but like that? Come on, seriously. That's pretty weird. Anyone ever think that? I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm raising my hand. Okay, it's like, seriously, that is weird. What is wrong with them? And we have to be careful because we don't know what's going on inside them. All we're seeing is the external manifestation. We're only seeing the external physical response, but only God knows what's going on inside the heart. And so we've got to be careful with that in judging. But the second question that I think we have a tendency to ask is just as, if not more, debilitating. And that is, what's wrong with me? Well, they're getting touched. See, the first one is like, I'm not really sure that that's God. They're just being weird. And they're judging somebody else. But the second question is, it is God who's touching them, and I'm being left out, and now I'm judging myself. What's wrong with me? And I want to remind you and encourage you, don't ever judge the love of God, the goodness of God, or his commitment to you by any manifestation, by what you do or do not feel. Dave mentioned it the other day that we interpret all of our circumstances through the goodness of God, not the other way around. We're not going to interpret our our. We're not going to interpret the nature and character of God through our circumstances. That's even true with a manifestation. You, we, we get to define everything through the nature and character of God. And that is way bigger than what we feel or don't feel in a meeting. So on one hand, I kind of feel like I'm talking about both sides out of, out of both sides of my mouth because, yeah, we're hungry. We love Jesus. His presence is here. We want more. Woo! Press in for everything God has. Hallelujah. Absolutely true. On the other hand, He's bigger than the moments we have together. Because when the meeting's over, you still have access to a perfect, loving Father. No matter what you do or do not feel, you're still the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we live with that 
balance and awareness of that. So you don't need to judge others for what they do or don't do or how they respond to the presence of God, and you don't need to judge yourself. Well, how come I'm not feeling all of that? How come I'm not feeling this? So I talked last night about going up to Canada and being in this powerful move of God and being gloriously touched. So I went there myself in 2002, came back, God spirit fell on our church on a, on a Sunday night, and Dave was like, man, this is God. We, we're, that next year when they had that conference, we're going to send a group up. So the next year, 2003, we sent a group of, I don't know, there's like 15 to 20 of us, probably about 15, that went up to Canada. And it was powerful. It was amazing. And then that really rocked our church. We came back, and the Spirit of God just fell in our church and really marked our church. Um, and what's interesting about that is when we got back and the Spirit of God fell, Dave's statement was, people begin to call, like what, for the next week or several weeks, confessing sin. And no one was preaching on repentance. But just the Spirit of God fell. And all of a sudden, it awakened this conviction in people's hearts. So anyways, so the next year, we go back again. So there we are, the following year. And the joy of the Lord is breaking out over the, all over the place. They had this guest minister in, and he's up speaking, and he's talking about the joy of the Lord. And he is um, speaking about this, and then he wants everybody to engage in the joy of the Lord. So he tells everybody, see, it's very easy to do. Just do this. He, 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 ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ho. Everybody repeat after me. Ha, <laughs> ha. And so everybody starts doing it. Well, the point was, you start out in the flesh, or just the natural, okay, Gosh, this feels kind of awkward. Ha, ha, ha. He, he, he. But before you know it, I mean, and there's such an, an anointing in that place anyways. It's phenomenal. That before you know it, the whole place is breaking out. Thousands of people in hilarious laughter. The whole place is erupting in joy. And this is, you know, several thousand people. It's people are watching it live on the internet, and the, the minister, he gets, he gets to the edge of the, 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 the platform, and he said, all right, who is not laughing here? Who's not experiencing this? The idea is he wants to, you know, single them out in front of thousands of people so he can get them to have this manifestation. So there I was, engaged with the Lord. The year before, powerfully touched. I literally had to be carried out. The only time in my life I've had to, I physically could not leave a meeting. Like, I had to be carried out the year before. This year, I'm back there, and he's saying, everybody, just do this. And I'm like, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm ready. Whatever you want to do, okay. And I, I say the words, ha, 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 he, he, whatever. I do that. But I'm just not feeling it. It's not happening to me. The whole place is, wow. Oh, this is so fun. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. I just, I don't feel it. But I'm not like going to fake a manifestation. I'm just like, okay, God, like you love me. You're here. I, I'll laugh if you want me to, but I'm just, there's, it's not bubbling inside of me, but that's okay. So he's like, who in this place is not laughing? So there was a dear sister in the Lord right near me going, <laughs> She wasn't just a sister in the Lord. She was my sister. She was here last night from Ottumwa. Yeah, so that's when Dave's laughter went up 20 notches, is when she pointed me out. So this evangelist gets off the platform, walks over the chairs, and he's got a cameraman following him, and the picture's up on the big screen. Not only that, I think they had it, they were doing it live on God TV around the world. Okay? And he get right up to me because he wants me to have this manifestation. Like, do it, boy. Just laugh. I'm like, okay, Lord, here I am. Talk about awkward moments. Talk about awkward moments. I think it's hard to get much more awkward than that. Literally, I got thousands of people in this place focused on me. I'm on the big screen, people are watching on the internet, and it's God TV around the globe. Everybody is blasted with laughter except me, one bald-headed white guy from Iowa. I'm not laughing, but I'm willing to laugh. I'm like, God, I don't care. Do whatever you want. I'm, you... 
I'll flop on the floor, I'll scream, I'll jump, I'll shout. I, but I was just like really chill. I don't know why. Anyways, he finally gave up and moved on. And I say all that to say this. If you're here tonight, and especially if you're here last night, you're like, I don't know. Gosh, what you were doing, that kind of made me uncomfortable. I feel that's kind of awkward. Hey, I've been there. I've been there. But the point is this. You don't have to manufacture anything. Just get to yield to the Lord. You see, when I was carried out, never before or since in my entire life, back in October of 2003, had I ever experienced the weightiness of God's presence like that night when they literally had to pick me up and I was limp like a rag doll and carry me out. God loved me when I was under the weight of his glory. The next year, everyone's staring at me literally around the globe. Why isn't this guy laughing? I was still a boy. I was still a father's child. I was still a, a daddy's boy. Still loved by the father. That manifestation didn't determine my identity. Manifestations come and go, and if God wants to give me a manifestation, I'll yield to it. Hallelujah. Let's yield to the Holy Spirit. But my worth and my value and my identity is not hitched. It's not hinged on that. So here we go. John chapter 6. Ready? John chapter 6. And just so you know, this wonderful couple on the front row, this Pastor and his wife, they have, what does it be, 40, I think 47 minutes, so they have to leave. They got to drive back to Kansas City, so they're leaving at 9, okay? So they were going to pretend like they were really offended when they walk out at 9 in the middle of everything, but I'm calling it out now. They just, they have to leave, so nobody think they're offended. Okay. Um, so here we go. Verse 1, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the Feast of Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was a place, now there, now there was much grass in that place, so that the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So they, we'll pause right there. Okay, back up, and we'll start with um, verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then, Jesus saw a large crowd, must have been large, said like 5,000 men, coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? It's interesting, you know, anytime God asks you a question, he's not look, looking for inf information. He's wanting to probe your heart, okay? He obviously knew what he had up his sleeve. I'm not saying he's tricky, but I don't know. Ever felt tricked by the Lord? I have. Okay, he's sneaky. And he's asking him, where are we going to get enough to feed everybody? And the first disciple was like, I don't know, this is impossible. <laughs> Failed the test, Okay. So he's not responding well. But then he asks the next disciple, and he said, oh, where are we going to get enough? And the next guy's like, well, okay, you know, here's a solution. We do have a boy with a little bit of, of food here, but, man, that's not nearly enough to feed everybody. The first guy wasn't solution-oriented. He just was negative from the get-go. He's like, oh, it's impossible. I mean, I know you're God in the flesh, but this is impossible. The next guy did a little better, and he was like, yeah, here is something. It was good that he found something to say, hey, hey, Jesus, maybe you could work with this. But even then, his faith could only take him so far. And he looked at the overwhelming crowd and said, there's no way. 
There's too much. There's no way you can feed this many. So this is what Jesus does. He said, have the people sit down. And it's interesting because there's another uh, passage where it talks about Jesus multiplying food. And it specifically says he had them sit down in groups of 50. Well, if you're talking thousands of people, that's got to be a lot of administrative work to get everybody sit down in groups of 50. We need administrators. Even with miracles, even in a miraculous environment, we need people with administrative gifting. Okay. Verse 11. Well, at the end of verse 10, it says this, that the men sat down, there were about 5,000. Now, my understanding is, in that day and that time, women, please don't be offended, but women and children were not counted. And I don't know if it's like, it just makes it counting easier, because we'll just only count one group of people and that's it, or it's like, hey, in their minds, men and, uh, or women and children didn't have as much worth, not as much value in their mind, I don't know, but it said 5,000 men. Now, how many of you would guess that there's a good chance for every man, a lot of the men would have at least one wife and two kids? Now, there could have been some single guys And there could have been some men with multiple wives. And there could have been some couples with a whole bunch of kids. But how many would figure it's pretty safe to average it out and say, for every man, there was probably one woman and two kids? You think that's pretty safe to figure, kind of meet in the middle there? It could have been more. I mean, some people could have had 12 kids, could have had 15 kids. But just assume for every guy there was one woman and two kids. All right? So we know there were 5,000 men. If you use the little equation that I just used, that would be 20,000 people. 20,000. Now, I was reading this one day, and it struck me because I've, I've, you know, I'm familiar with the story, raised in church, but going, man, he's looking out. It's not just like a group of people. It's 20,000. I don't know. What would that be like? Half the population of Burlington? Something like that? I don't know what the population is here. About three-fourths three of the population of Burlington. So, like three-quarters of Burlington shows up to see Jesus. And they're hungry. A sea of 20,000 people. And Jesus says, what are we going to do? So he said, give me the food. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So let me ask you this. Does Jesus, let's face it, he's only got a little bit of fit. I mean, it's not a super small amount, but when he compared it to 20,000 people, that's not going to go very far. So Jesus takes this little bit of food, compared little compared to the crowd, Is this his response? Is this how he interacts with God? Oh, man, just a massive crowd with such needs. All I got is this little bit of bread. God, look at this situation you've left me with. It's impossible. The people are hungry. They're going to be disappointed in me. They're going to be angry at me. What am I supposed to do with this little bit? Is this how he interacts with God? Does he curse the bread? Oh, this stinking bread, that's all we have. What does he do? He gives thanks. I don't want to make this too deep, but whatever we're talking about, a supernatural lifestyle, I am absolutely convinced that gratitude is foundational. One of the reasons for that is, is because gratitude is an expression of humility. Because gratitude recognizes, you know what, I didn't do anything to deserve it. Matter of fact, I might have done things that should have disqualified me from it, but God gave me this grace because grace is unmerited favor. He gave it to me in spite of all of my unbelief and all of my mess-ups. I didn't do anything to earn this, but he gave it to me anyways. And so gratitude is a recognition. Wow, he's a really good God. He's given me above and beyond anything I deserve. Gratitude is, is an expression of humility and Scripture says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's foundational for a supernatural lifestyle. 
So Jesus is standing there, and he's not cursing the little bit that he has. He's taking that little bit, and he offers it up before the Father. And he says, Father, I thank you for it. I give you thanks. So let me ask you, was the food multiplied before or after he gave thanks? To me, that's huge because it's easy to give thanks to him after the miracle happens, right? It's really easy to go, whoa, look at the miracle, hallelujah. Man, my bank account was so low and now God's restored it, hallelujah, awesome. It's easy to give thanks like that, but it's a whole lot more challenging when it's really low, when there's just a little bit that I have to work with, but to give him thanks in the midst of it. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge for my life. To say no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how low things might look in a certain area, the fact is there's breakthrough that's waiting for me on the other side of my gratitude. I want to give thanks in everything. I haven't mastered that art yet. I'm just going to be honest. But hopefully I'm learning to get closer to that. He gave thanks. And on the other side of his thanksgiving was a miracle. So... Then it says this, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, and they each ate a tiny little sliver of food, just barely enough to get by for a crowd of 20,000 people. Is that what it says? Now, I'm going to be honest. Growing up in church, hearing this story my whole life, been familiar with it, this is how I imagine it. I'm not saying this is how I'd read it because the words haven't changed, but this is how I have it in my mind, okay? And we all read the Bible in different ways. You, you, your imagination kicks in and you view it a certain way. And so I don't know why, but for some reason, I just had it in me that there was this crowd of 5,000 men. Sorry, I forgot about the ladies in the kids, but 5,000 men, because that's what it says, 5,000 men, and I would think, oh my goodness, if they were going to feed 5,000 men, they'd have to take this and just be so careful. Like, there is not enough to go around. I can just imagine the disciples coming up to people and going, um, here, go ahead, take a piece. No, no, not that big. Put it back. Take a smaller piece. No, here's some tweezers. Okay, here, take that Take it. Don't you complain. Do you see all those other people waiting? There are people waiting in that back row. Man. Okay, here you go. Would you, would you like some, some fish? No, smaller piece. The woman next to you wants to eat too, you know. Don't be greedy. I just, I had it in my mind that it's like everybody had to just take a tiny, tiny little piece which totally throws out the miraculous. Because in my mind, I'm reducing the multiplication of food down to something natural. Because if it was based on the natural, you would have to be careful. You would have to look at it logically and go, be careful because all these other people want to eat. But it wasn't like that. This is Jesus doing a miracle, and it says everybody ate as much as they wanted. That's amazing. Here's another thing that I love about this. When, G when, when, when Jesus sent them out and they were giving up the food, they're, they're making available to people, what we don't have recorded in Scripture is that they came up to anybody and said, would you like this food? Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Do you have a PhD in theology? Because if not, you just have to have one of the smallest pieces. They didn't go up and say, would you like some fish and bread? Oh, hold on a second. Um, have you ever been divorced? Because if so, you're disqualified from partaking in this. This is a crowd of 20,000 people. How many could easily imagine there was probably some dysfunction in some people out of a group of 20,000? Could you not easily imagine with me that out of a crowd of 20,000 people, some people probably had a checkered past? And yet, they just went down the line. 
See, I, I, can, I can easily imagine parents. I, I remember one time I went trick-or-treating. I'm not, advocate, I'm not for or against trick-or-treating in, in this point, okay? I'm just saying it's something I did as a kid, okay? And so as a little kid, I'm like six years old, and I go trick-or-treating, and I was with my sister, and we go up to this door, and this lady comes to the door, and she's got this big old bag, not just with little candies, but like full-on candy bars, okay? And she said, take as much as you want. Well, heck, I'm six years old. I believed her. I'm like, yeah. And my sister's like, put that back. You're not. I'm like, she told me I could take it. I still remember that. Get her, my sister getting on my case when I was just obeying the lady. The lady told me, take as much as you want. That's the image that comes to my mind is these people are, these, these disciples are going down the line and they're distributing this food. Then I'm thinking how easy it would be for moms to go, Johnny, put that back. There's other hungry people there. There's a bunch, there's thousands of people waiting behind you. It'd be very easy to fall into that mentality, but this is what Scripture says. Everybody ate as much as they wanted. That means skinny people. That means really fat people. That means really hungry people. People who thought, you know, I'm not even hungry, but I don't know when I'm going to get free food like this again, so I'm just going to pile up. There's all kinds of people in that crowd. And everybody chose and they determined how much they were going to eat. We serve a generous king, an extravagant God, a very good, excessively good God and Father. But here's what I found out is that my whole life, His goodness has never changed. His extravagance has never changed. I'm the one who has set the limit on how much I receive from Him. Everybody ate as much as they wanted. And it is possible, I don't know, I'm guessing, that there were some people who thought, well, man, if I take too much, there's not going to be enough for the people back there. They had a scarcity mentality. And it's great to think of other people, but the multiplication of the kingdom and the extravagance and the goodness of God, he's just like, I'm multiplying food. And this person could take as much as they wanted, and the next person could take as much as they wanted, and there was still more than enough for everybody else. There's no orphan mentality in that. It's just, woo, my papa's the king, and there's more than enough for everybody. 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 Who determines how much you feast of the goodness of the king? Who determines that? Oh, my pastor. Man, he's, you know, he's got so much power, and he's, he's got so much authority. Man, our apostolic overseer, he determines how much I eat of Jesus. He determines how much I receive of God. Well, God bless your pastor, and God bless apostolic overseers, but they are not Jesus. And Jesus has delegated authority to you for your own life, not your pastor. Pastors, they comfort, they equip, they encourage. Whatever the fivefold gifting is, they can do all kinds of things to strengthen and encourage you. But at the end of the day, you and I determine how much we eat and we receive of the goodness of God. Nobody else determines that. But I love this story because it's a story of an extravagant King Jesus who makes it all available to us. Nobody else determines. And we don't see anywhere in this story where Johnny or Bubba, I used to live in Tennessee, Bubba, big old Bubba, man, he's like, I'm hungry, I ain't eaten nothing for a long time, man. Hey, look at this free fish and bread coming down the line. Woo, I'm going to take some. And Bubba just reaches in and takes it and Jesus doesn't go up and rebuke him. You know, anybody getting touched here last night? God was not mad that... Jade, God was not mad that you were hogging the presence of God. <laughs> She's taking all the anointing. Man, leave some for somebody else. You're getting so filled with joy. Man, let somebody else in on it. No. 
I'm telling you what, Jesus passed by and he put, he, he, he put up a, a full feast before her and said, you can indulge, daughter. And she took it. She took it. It doesn't mean that that invitation is not for you. I just think in Jade's heart, she was like, I'm taking it. I don't know about anybody else, but God's here and this is my moment. I'm going to indulge. I'm going to feast on the faithfulness of the Father. I'm going to indulge in the love of God. I'm going to drink deep of that wine of his love. Now, I want us to just look at one little other part here. It says, so also the fish as much as they had wanted. So it wasn't just the carbs with the bread. It's fish too. As much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, as much as they wanted, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments, the five bar barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. They wound, not only was there enough for everybody to eat and 20,000 people to eat as much as they wanted, but there was even leftovers. He's the God of more than enough. I don't know, but I'm guessing they sent that little boy home with more than he started with. That's a good God. That's an extravagant God. Can you imagine if that little boy would have been like, no, this traveling healing evangelist, this guy they called Jesus, he's trying to steal the food of a little boy. Forget it. This is mine. That would have been a tragic story. Instead, he gives it to the Lord. He multiplies it. 20,000 people are fed as much as they want, and then he gets more that's left over than what he started with. That's pretty good. So now let me ask you this. How many understand that God is sovereign? He's a supernatural sovereign God. He's the God of miracles. This is a miracle that he did. He's the God of miracles. So who determined when that miracle stopped? It doesn't say it explicitly in the text, but this is what it does say, that when everybody ate as much as they wanted, then they gathered the leftovers. That means by the, by the time the last person on the last row took their last bite, it's like, okay, miracle ceased. Bubba on the back row probably didn't realize, oh, when I said I was done, that means the miracle's over. But whenever they were done, whoever took the last bite, that was the person who determined when the miracle was over. Because what we have from this passage is it just kept happening. It just kept multiplying over and over and over and over again. Again, this is not in the text, but I'm just going to throw this out. It's not scripture, I'm just, I'm just guessing. But what do you think would have happened if some of the folks in the back row were like, man, it's taking a while for them baskets to get here. It's going to be still at least another 45 minutes. I tell you what, let's you and I run to the next town. Let's get some hungry people and bring them over here. And they would have ran to the next town and said, hey, there's free food. Jesus is multiplying food. And they would have added on another 20,000 to the 20,000 that were already there. The way I read this, then it would have been 40,000 who would have been fed. And as long as they kept adding hungry people, it just keep being multiplied. Because that's how it went. The first row ate as much as they wanted. The second row, there wasn't less. They ate as much as the, the third row, they ate as much as they wanted. That's amazing to me because God is sovereign, but he leaves the power of choice up to you and I. He loves us all the same, and I'm so thankful for that, that Pastor Dave is not God's favorite one, okay? I am. Uh, we're all loved just the same, okay? 
I'm so thankful for that. It's a level playing field. We're all loved the same. But he delegates the power of choice to each of us of how much we're going to choose to believe and receive from him. That's sobering and powerful all at once. So, man, I want to be the kind of person that says, Jesus, I'm in on it. You paid a high price with your blood that was shed at Calvary so that we could come into the freedom of everything you've made available to us and we could feast at your banqueting table. And not only that, but you want to multiply that blessing through me and we can pull in other hungry, needy people. And to keep the, whatever miracle God has done in your life, he wants to repeat it and he wants to repeat it over and over again through your life. You get determined. You and I get to determine. You see, when these meetings are done and you and I go back to our daily routine, you and I get to determine how much we're going to feast on the goodness of God. When the meetings are over, when a conference is over, when a kingdom school is over, you and I get to determine, hey, how much, how much do I believe in the excessive goodness of God? That he really loves me, he really likes me, he really delights in me, and I'm invited to feast at Papa's table every day. You and I get that opportunity. So Lord, I thank you that you are the God of El Shaddai. You are the Father of endless supply. Jesus, we thank you that when you died on the cross, that veil, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom and we all have access. You, <laughs> you are the God of limitless supply. We have a perfect loving father who invites us in. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and we thank you for what you made available to us. Now, Lord, we want to drink the wine of the Spirit. And, Lord, I thank you that there's more than enough bread. If you go further in chapter 6, Jesus, later on in that chapter, he declares, I'm the true bread of life come down from heaven. When you read that story with that understanding that there was an endless multiplication of bread until the last person took the last bite. There was enough for everybody. And Jesus is the true bread of life come down from heaven. I said, wow, there's enough for everybody. There's enough for everybody. You get to eat as much as you want. And what you take doesn't detract from what he gets. Matter of fact, you guys are married, so, you know, you get to get in on the whole thing. Woo, honey, we're going to feast on the goodness of Jesus. There's no lack. He is the true bread of life come down from heaven. I want you to just put your hands up before the Lord. Just close your eyes and put your hands up before the Lord. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you live in us and that, Father, you love us. Now I'm asking right now, the Holy Spirit, you would place the bread of life in people's hands right now. That there is a limitless feast available for every child of God. 